You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. This week, we welcome Michelle Rogers, an autism mom and life coach who specializes in helping autism parents of toddlers who are nonverbal with communication and potty training. Michelle supports parents of autistic children because she wishes she had a boss like herself to support her when her daughter was first diagnosed with autism. She became that champion to get her daughter where she is today and has helped hundreds of mothers and their autistic children thrive along the way. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I would love, because so much of your work and your passion is personal to you, so I'd love to be able to hear your story and what led to you deciding to dedicate so much of your time and energy to helping to empower children and families. Awesome. So uh, my name is Michelle. I'm an autism mom, like many of your listeners. I have a a daughter that was diagnosed in the spectrum um, a little after her second birthday, um, when that happens, I think at the time, um, I kind of felt like the diagnosis was cancer and I thought that her life was over and I probably thought mine was too. And that I didn't even know what was going to happen to her or what the outcome was. I was thinking probably all the worst possible things you could think. And then, um, going through the motions for months, really not even being present for her, being present for my family. I had a newborn son. I was terrified for him now as well, because if you have one child with autism, it's quite possible that you could have another child with autism. So I was really just going through the gamut of really dark emotions. I just kind of felt like I was completely alone. Nobody in my family or friends ever experienced anything like this. They couldn't even really console me or or, or support me as to what I should do. Um, and then, you know, one night after I put the kids to bed, I had this just thought that flashed to me that I'm going to die one day and who's going to care for her when I'm gone and, uh, who's going to care for her like her mom too. And then I remember just thinking in my head, I was like, oh my God, you know, uh, I was so grateful and I felt so blessed, uh, to even be able to have children. I didn't know if I would even be able to have kids. And, um, when she was in my arms that night in the hospital, I remember thinking about what her future could look like. And um, all that kind of went dark when that diagnosis came and it all went out the window. And I remember thinking before autism, I promised I was going to be the best mother I could be to her. And autism or not, that promise means now more than ever. And um, it was just something about that thought, even though it was kind of terrifying, but it was also kind of empowering that, listen, you know, I'm a God-fearing woman and I don't want to, you know, if I die one day and I'm at the gates and um, we're going to look back on my life and I put my head in the sand because I just felt like, oh, didn't sign up for this. Autism wasn't in my, you know, wasn't in my family plan. Um, I didn't want to leave this earth knowing I didn't give it everything I got. So I didn't know what her potential was going to be, but I knew I wanted to just be able to say, yes, I did everything I could. I did not waste a minute. Uh, to help her uh, be the girl that she is today. And I didn't know what that, I didn't even know that that was going to be possible. I just knew I had to just not, I had to show up like the mom I promised I would be when she was a baby, because that's how I'd want to leave this earth, knowing that that was how, to my dying breath, I fought and I was mothering her. Yeah. And I mean, the the fact that that you have the perspective now, and, and you stated it as my daughter, who she is today. And 
I think that a lot of parents go through that that thought process of being overwhelmed, not knowing what to do, but also maybe not even being aware of what autism is or some of the really positive things for your child that could come out of it at the same time as, you know, there's going to be specific areas that we're going to have to put or dedicate more time into. And I think that 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 thought process is hard initially to get through. What would you say to parents before we go into the specifics of what you're working on right now? But what would you say to parents when they first hear that diagnosis, have not understood the process yet, and maybe haven't even contacted anybody who identifies as autistic? What would you tell them from your experience? So from where I stand, it's understandable to believe it, it to be a shock, right? Because this isn't what n- none of us sign up. I'll take us, you know, two kids with autism, please. You know, nobody's thinking that when they're going to become a parent. So it's definitely a blow when you get news that's unexpected like this. And um, um, unfortunately, and it still really hasn't improved that much. The belief of what autism looks like to what to me at that time was Rain Man. And I'm thinking that that's this is going to be my daughter institutionalized like Rain Man. And what I think everyone needs to understand is that when this happens, it's okay to have to be scared and it's okay uh, to have a grief. And you're in everyone's like grief. What are you grieving? You know, you're grieving that neurotypical childhood experience you thought you were going to have. And that's okay. You know what I mean? When it becomes a problem is if we stay there. So I think a lot of the times with the parents that I work with, if you look at the five stages of grief, it's uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. A lot of parents stay between two and four, anger, bargaining, depression. If you if you can't get to acceptance, you can't get to what I believe is the sixth stage of grief that nobody talks about, which is creation. And that's the, you know what, this isn't fair. I didn't sign up for this. You didn't sign up for this. It's not fair. It's not right, but it's what is. And if I can't accept what is, I can't create from that space. And that's kind of, I guess, the first thing I would tell anyone who's newly diagnosed. It's it's hard. I'm not going to say it isn't hard. It's your darkest hours. But I need you to just remember what being a parent, what that what you were going to show up and how you were going to show up for that child, not just that child with autism now. Yeah, absolutely. And and just reading through your blogs and, and hearing your story, you have a pretty amazing child. And in order to get to that point is that is that you did have to get to that acceptance. So you can see all that wonderful, all that creativity, everything that she's brought to your life and all those around her. But what is the mission that you have with your work? Because you have an organization, it's called Champions for Our Children. So what is the mission that you're driving with that particular line of work that you're doing? So um, one of the things I realized when I th- went through this mental and emotional journey is I thought all parents kind of got out the other side. And when I went through all of this, uh, the first year I was alone because it was an early intervention, right? So they're doing the services in your home. And when I left the home and I went into the community to, a, you know, she went to a special education preschool. She was in the most restrictive preschool environment. She was in a 614, it was an autism class. I was floored and shocked that most parents were stuck and still stuck in the either the 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 why me's or they had um they had white flagged it for their kid and I call it just pretty much given up and they just kind of just going with the ebbs and flows of being in an autism community and I listen 
I loved one of the best things about an, the autism community was that they're so open arms to any new members. You know, I go, we know how you feel. Come on in, come on. Says, I get it. But the shittiest or the worst part about it, and this is where you really have to kind of go, be the gatekeeper to your mind, is the ones that are there just to wear the puzzle piece or, you know, put the sticker on the back of their car, but there's no forward momentum for their children. That's not the type of community you want. And I couldn't believe that so many of them, I remember going on a trip with some moms, all our kids are in a preschool, special education preschool, and they're talking about signing their houses away to the state so their kids will always have a place to live after they die. I'm like, I'm not even putting that in the universe. And this is unfortunately the majority of people think this way. And that's why I really did this. Cause I'm like, Julianne is not a unicorn. Okay. I, I took, I have failed so many more times with her. I've tried so many things that don't work. The reason why she's where she is today is because I never quit on my kid. I never gave up on her. So that's why I do what I do. I said, you know what? There's so many other parents. They just need to see that they are the gatekeeper for the progress that their children can have. Yeah, I have all the tactical tools for potty training, uh, getting your kids communicating, get, getting uh, your kids to reduce problem or aggressive behavior. But if you don't believe that it's possible, if you believe autism is a death sentence, then, I, then no one can help your child. Nobody's got any tools or tips that's going to help if I can't get past that. No, absolutely. And, and the goals that you had mentioned there, um, toilet, toileting, um, communicating, these are, these are high priorities for every individual. I mean, we want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to be able to maintain some self-determination over our own bodies. We also want to be able to communicate and engage those around us. And whether that's being able to have fluid conversations or just being able to express the needs so people respect us, those are very powerful goals. And I think that most families are looking to be able to incorporate that into their child's lives. And what you're working on right now and, and some of the consultation seems very focused on these issues. How did you pick these priorities? Because they sound like they're so important. Yes. So I believe, and I got this from um, Mary Barbara had said this, and I agree with it 100%, that there are three life skills that all children on the spectrum need to have a chance at a life of independence. First one's potty training, the second one's communication skills, and I'm not necessarily just talking about verbal communication, and the third is um, no disruptive behaviors, reduced uh, uh, issues, instances of aggression or problem behavior. These are like the foundation to build your house from. And if you don't have these, it's like building on sand. So um, I believe that it was the path that I took with my daughter. In fact, it was communication. With the communication, nine times out of 10, what we see is that aggression and problem behavior is because the child is frustrated and they can't get their wants and needs met. So they get cry and they lash out because that serves them well to get whatever they need. So usually uh, with Juliana, her path was communication. And then as we gave her, she start, we taught her sign language, she, her tantruming stopped almost instantly as soon as she was fluent in that ability to use sign language to get her wants and needs met. And then we pottied with, with, with the sign. And these were the things that this was the path that I took. And then all of the feedback I've gotten from the community, oh, I just need my child potty trained. Potty training is the number one thing that parents come to us. And I'm going to say it's the easiest thing I solve in my program. Every family who comes and joins my masterclass, everybody leaves with a potty trained child. If they stay, they work with me. Everyone leaves with a potty trained child. I have 100% success right there. So, yeah. and it's a great starting point potty training because it's such it's such a black and white thing. Either you're 
peeing and pooping in a diaper or you're peeing and pooping in the toilet, right? So it's just one or the other. So if I can shift, if I can just show them through tactical steps, how they can, how this is possible, it catches fire. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. holy, holy smokes, my kid could do this. All yeah. this time, I didn't think that. What else is possible? So I definitely give them all the, the tactical, but it really is about the, the gatekeeping and who's guarding the gate to your mind and, and what you believe about your child. I had some, uh, we just finished a potty power intensive uh, today. And one of the, we always, this always happens when I do like a two day or a three day intensive on a topic, there'll be always be a general statement that everyone will say. And to this week it was, um, there's nothing that motivates my child. And I can't think of a more toxic thing you could think about your child. Because if I believe that my child can't, is unmotivatable, what is to become of a child like that? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And and we've had a lot of discussions even in the clinical space right now about, and I guess it would be considered community-informed programming, but looking at those recipients of care and what's important to them. And those three things that you just mentioned are exactly what the stakeholder community, the autistics themselves are saying are the important actual areas of treatment is the world is opened up to us. If we're able to care for ourselves, if we advocate for ourselves, communicate to others in a way that's meaningful, and then also being able to find a way to be able to reduce severe problem behavior, not the little things that make me who I am, because we all have those but the big behaviors that might be causing me not to be able to be a part of the community that I'd love to be a part of. Um, so I'm glad that, that that's where your focus is, but let's talk about this potty training component because it is such a crucial piece for toddlers. And it's something that is so important for one's self-esteem, I think. Um, so how did you know that your daughter was ready and how do you tell others to know, hey, you know what? You're, your, your child is ready to start this process. So I just want to say too, we started the company thinking we were going to be just handling toddlers because I always thought my, my client base would be the newly diagnosed. We have now, we've potty trained adults up to the age of 31 in the program. And the way that I guess I go about it, when my personal potty experience was a potty poop show. I was absolutely horrendous when I did it with Juliana. She, she was not showing the signs that she was ready to potty train. I just had it in my head. It's time to potty train. We just have to do it. If I hindsight, I wouldn't have, I would have waited a couple of months and then maybe seen if the, if the signs presented themselves. So actually my personal potty experience for both of my kids was probably a potty poop show. And, um, it's interesting now because I'm, I'm potty training my cats. This is like a big joke on my social media because I'm actually potty training my cats to go on the toilet because I can potty train anybody. We potty train kids, we potty train toddlers, adults, everybody. So I guess what, ha what happened for me was that I always, I, I had no idea what potty training was going to look like. I had a visual that this was going to be the worst part of parenting. So now I'm thinking potty training is going to be the worst part of parenting, right? I'm going in with that mindset. <laughs> I just want to get it over with. So now I'm rushing through it. She wasn't ready. I'm trying to get this, what I think is going to be this worst part of parenting over with. And it, she's having accents. I'm freaking out. I'm doing all the wrong things. And I remember just having to take a step back one day. And I had my mom come over. I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to do some work. Put, you put her on the potty on and off, whatever. And I heard her have an accent. And my mom was just like, hey, you had an accent. Let's go clean it up. And I'm like, that's it? That's all you're going to say? That's it? It was not, I just, it really like, it was so 
she neutralized it for me. Like accents are supposed to happen. Listen, we're teaching them in a major life skill. Accents are a part of the process. And once I really like, once that happened, I was just like, oh, I'm like handling this terribly. I'm handling this all wrong. I really got to just take a step back, really just look at like, she's totally capable of this. What can I do to help her? What can I do to make this fun for us? I can look at potty training and look at it. This is going to be a nightmare experience, just like I did. Or I can look at potty training and say, this is like me teaching her how to ride a bike or how to brush her hair. You know what I mean? It's all Absolutely. perspective. So it's just like the mind. I, I feel like that's kind of where I really started with this. And when we do these potty training intensives, we kind of want to, I actually really, I mean, I go over the, the actual tactical, but I really want to talk to parents because I want to understand where their, where their thoughts are in, in putting a protocol in place to get their child potty trained. You'd be surprised some of the things that they say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with like, do I believe that my child's capable of this? And if mm-hmm. I don't believe it, how much, what kind of effort am I really going to put into successfully potty training a child if I believe that they're not capable? I'm, I'm I'm glad you corrected me there because it sounds like the question I should have asked was how did you and Joanna both know that you were ready during this process? Because the emotional part as a, as a parent or a caretaker is that you could set off a successful opportunity as easy as you could create a failure for the process just by your reactions. Yes. And I think both parties have to be saying, hey, I'm I'm ready for this. Were there were there perfect were there specific signs of like assent that said, you know, I'm ready now. I'm not nervous. I'm not upset about this. I want to start this process. These are the signs of potty readiness. For anyone who doesn't who doesn't know, I'm gonna give you the signs for potty readiness. Potty readiness can look like holding their bladder for a long period of time. So if you're checking their diaper here and there and it's dry and then all of a sudden it's full, that's a sign of potty readiness. So staying dry for a couple hours. Them pulling off their diaper, that's a sign that they're potty ready because they don't like the way it feels when it's dirty. Um, them being curious, looking at you going on the potty and maybe being like interested in wanting to do some of the motions that it takes to have a successful potty trip. These are signs of the potty training. Sometimes even a child who picks the poop out of their diaper and throws it on the floor, they don't like the way it feels in their diaper. These are all good signs for potty training. So that's what you want to look for. Yeah, and, and those are those are such... They're nonverbal signs. Yes, Oftentimes we wait for somebody to tell us something is that you're not going to hear it all the time. You have to be observant to it. Um, but then you get the process started. Then you know, okay, we can go through this. And I I know that, Michelle, your success rate is extremely high on teaching these skills, but there are destined to be failures along the way. So what challenges should families expect throughout the process that you know, you're going to have to solve for? Okay, so first you want to understand that the true fail of potty training is quitting. That failing forward is a part of the process. There are going to be some messes. We are going to get some hiccups. Consistency is key. The idea here is that the first thing we want to do is understand um, we don't want to go off of what we think or what guesstimate. We want to go off of clean data. A lot of behaviorists love data collection. So one of the things we have at the, I have a potty pocket guide and the last page of it is like a toilet Uh, training data collection sheets. So that way it can be really clean on the data as to what I'm doing. So um, some of the things that can happen when you're up on a potty train is first, you may want to potty train, but your child won't even sit on the potty. I call that potty phobia. So you can't run before, you know, can't run before we crawl. The idea here first is we want to neutralize just sitting on the potty. So if you have a child like this, where you show them the potty, I had a mom that had a child that she show, she'd show her underwear 
she knew she'd start screaming because she knew that was going to be the she was going to anticipate potty training and she was freaking out we have to neutralize that first so if you have a child that's that's showing you know signs of potty phobia you want to make it just so that they just sit with no expectation of having to eliminate and how we do that is we baseline the data so will they be will they will at least sit on it for a couple of seconds and pop back up and when i say sit on it you're not forcing them they're not crying while they're doing it they're not whinging it's got to be completely neutral and then that becomes our baseline. So let's say I, I, I have my daughter sit, but she pops right back up. So she sits for like three seconds. Then I'll use a timer and I'll say, okay, if you sit for seven seconds, mommy's going to give you something nice. Like it could be a tickles, a piggyback ride, bubbles, a sticker, whatever the case may be. And then we want to increase that time on the potty, just sitting up to about three to five minutes, enough to, if you figure what, how long it would take to do a pee or a poop. Once that's mastered, where you can say, oh, honey, you want to sit? Now I had a mom who were teaching uh, her daughter pie train. She wouldn't sit. Now she'll sit for a Skittle. Now she, one Skittle. And then she'll find her mom wherever she is. Hey, I'm ready to sit. I'm ready to sit. I'll take, I'll sit if you give me the Skittle, you know? So now that, when your child's at that point, that's when you actually start the potty training. So the first thing you want to know is obviously, are they showing those potty uh, readiness signs, waking up dry, taking their diaper off, going long periods of, dry, of, of being dry? requesting or pointing to the potty if they're pre-verbal, regular bowel movements that are predictable. We also want to make sure they don't have uh, diarrhea. Uh, we want to make sure medically they're in a good space to potty train. It's not fair to a child that's having diarrhea. They're not going to be able to run to the bathroom fast enough if, if we're potty training. We want to make sure we get there, you know, if they have any gastro issues resolved and then we can potty train. If they're a little constipated, that is not a problem. Only painful, like it's changing their behavior constipation would be a reason I wouldn't potty train. It's normal for a child to get constipated when we're potty training. They're showing the signs. First, I want to see if they'll sit neutrally. If they'll sit neutrally, then we can actually get to the job of potty training. I mean, it, it really sounds like the ability to be patient through this process as uh, the supportive person for your child or your young adult who's going through it and not pushing them through it is probably key is that you have to move at their pace. Um, were there, were there specific times that you were like, you know what, Juliana is really enjoying this or are, were there, were there parts where it's like, you know, she feels successful and I can read this on her face and, you know, she's now a committed part of this process versus me trying to say, Hey, it's time to toilet. She's, she's now taking ownership. Absolutely. So with my personal experience with this, uh, we, uh, trained, pie trained her with, uh, Chips Ahoy. She loves those cookies. And uh, <coughs> when you decide you're going to pie train, you want to make sure whatever you use is the high val value reward is something she only has access to for pie training. That increases the desire for it. So you have to withhold it at any other time. And you can present it as like, I may always make it visual, visual in the bathroom. Like I used to even increase desire. Like if a, if a chips and white cookie was on a scale from one to 10, a 10, I put it in a big jar with a bow and that makes it like a 20. She's really excited because she knows all those cookies in those, in that jar is for her. And every time she goes to the potty, she gets to have that cookie. So I would actually see her run from the living room all the way to the bathroom, open the gate, run all the way to the bathroom, pull her pants down. And she then she'd just be screaming and I'd be excited and um, she'd be clapping and I would get her the cookies. And this was the sign for cookies. She'd do the sign while she was on the, uh, on the toilet and I'd give it to her. So yeah, it was, we made it fun. Like it was in the beginning, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible for her and horrible for me. But once I realized like, Hey, you know, this doesn't have to be a nightmare experience. I can make this fun for us. I mean, everyone was excited. Everybody clapping for her when she's going in there. I mean, it's just like, it, it, 
it changes everything. No, and and the process that you're putting it through where you're really evaluating and you're aware and you're looking at the body language or the the verbal language of your child, depending on kind of how you're assessing it. I think all of that is key to being successful, but also key to being able to maintain it as a positive experience. Like you could walk away with, yeah, I got my child toilet trained, or you could walk away and be like, we did this together. We were excited together and it ended up being fun, which who would ever think that toilet training could be fun? Yeah, I love it. it. And we bring that we we talk about potty every week. (laughs) Somebody's always coming in. I need a pie train. Great. Let's talk about it. Let's go. And it, I want to always like disprove some of the, like the thoughts that parents have about it. You know, there's no linear, like there's no like linear path to, to, to success, but there's going to be access, going to be hiccups. When I was pie trained Juliana, she caught a UTI and mm-hmm. that sucks because now every time she goes to the bathroom, it hurts. So we ended up having to put her back in a pull up while she was on the antibiotic. And I felt like oh, you know, she's doing so good, blah, blah, blah. I said, nope. Just let's get her healthy and then we're going to go right back to it. And as soon as, she, as soon as the, uh, she felt better and she was done with the, uh, the antibiotic, we went right back to it. And it was like riding a bike. It took a day and then she was right back to it. So yeah. things are going to happen. You're going to have some setbacks. You're going to have some hiccups. It's okay. You know, you just get, you just look at what you're at, look at what, what's going on, resolve it and then get right back to it. Well, that that's a great example of, you know, the fact that you are going to hit disappointment along the way. Nothing is going to go from zero to 100 without us having to go backwards every once in a while because you have that setback that you were describing. Um, and with toileting, you can't control how the body is feeling through those experiences at times. And whether it's a UTI or it's a uh, constipation or diarrhea or anything is that at that point, setbacks are destined to occur. What do you tell parents? Because it almost feels like at that point, going backwards is a failure and it's the whole world starts crumbling around them. How do you, how do you coach them through the self-care part of realizing that it's a journey, it's a voyage, we'll get there, but be patient through it. Yeah. So one of the beauties of my program is it's a 90 day program. So they're kind of like getting that support along the way. But if we could just look at potty training as just like this journey from diapers to potty trained. Right. And along the way, there's going to be some some bumps in the road. And this is what this is just the path for learning anything. I mean, I know we think that that it's supposed to just go like, all right, here's where it goes. Okay, great. Now you're in underwear. It's not how that would be fabulous, but that's not how life works. That's not how it works for any skill. Learning how to walk, learning how to ride a bike, learning how to tie a shoe. That one, it took me longer to teach her how to tie a shoe than to go to to learn how to you know go on the potty. This is the this is the path, and we're actually not only are we we teaching them that we don't quit, that this is all part of life, and that we need to move forward with this, but it's teaching us that this is us showing up, and that this is okay. And then if we, you know, I think one of the best things I could say to parents when the setbacks happen is to almost anticipate a problem. Think that this is probably going to happen. I even think about this at IEP meetings. Like every IEP meeting, there's always something I want and I usually get a no. (laughs) So I anticipate that I'm probably going to get a no, but that doesn't deter me from asking anyway and seeing if we could find some middle ground. It's the same thing with hygiene. Listen, I'm going to expect some accents here. All I want to know is if I look at day one versus day 10, are we, are we in a different space? And nine times out of 10, I'm going to say nine and a half times out of time, the answer is yes. And as long as the answer is yes, then we just keep moving. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had a lot of uh, opportunity today to talk about toileting. And, 
and potty training is such a crucial aspect to independence. Um, but you, and, and your 90 day program has been very successful for this, but you also work on other components. You work on communication, you work on, uh, behavioral skills, which I'd love to bring you back on to talk with, but are there tools that you personally recommend for families along their, their, their journey with their autistic child that, you know, these are wonderful tools that just kind of open up doors or that help to bring perspective? So um, the first one is obviously to have a plan. I have a, a potty pocket guide. If uh, anyone's interested in it, who comments to you or to me, I'll, I'll make sure to send them that. That's first thing is to kind of have a plan as to what is this supposed to look like? Then I want, I think, I think the next, uh, I guess, tool or tip I would have for this is just to kind of get an idea of what your child really loves. Like, what do they love to do? What do they love to eat? What do they like to engage with? And see if there's a way we can incorporate that desire for that thing. And it has to be like a 10. I go, I usually go for the jugular. I go right for the iPads because everybody loves them and everyone's scared to take it away. Uh, I had a mom say, I, I you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable uh, what she said. I don't feel comfortable withholding that. And I said, well, you're not withholding it. You're rewarding it. All right. It's all perspective. If I look at it as withholding, I look at I'm punishing my child. I wouldn't want to do that either. I want you to look at it like I'm a mom showing up teach my baby how to potty train, which would have been on the, which would have been on the agenda, whether autism came into our life or not. So um, I guess for tools, I'd like you to think about um, the, re the reward system. What do you think you're, what think, I always ask, this is the question I ask, what would your child do anything for if they had, could have access to it? If they saw it right now, well, what is that thing? So I want you to think about that. Um, let's see, what else would I like? Um, that's really it. There's no like special like potty seed or anything like that. I would recommend if you have a boy that you train them to uh, sit going to the potty. It's not a problem if they already stand. It's just an extra step because the idea here is to get everybody comfortable with sitting on the potty. So uh, when we sit on the potty, you want to make sure they're secure. I can't really think of any like 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 hard like tools that you could buy that other than getting yourself, you know, mentally, you're like, this is good. We're going to do this. We were doing this anyway, whether autism came into the program or not, this was, this was on the agenda. Yeah. So. Now. And, and the fact that you don't have to have special tools and it's really a mindset and having the techniques, it, it's got to give that added hope that, you know, we're going to, we're going to make it through this. I don't have to go buy all this extra stuff. All no, I have to do is stay committed. Yeah, that's right. You don't need to be a special education teacher. You don't have to have be uh, have a degree in ABA. I uh, know all of my, which I guess a lot of my parenting is probably ABA based because this has been our life, right? Mm -hmm. So it's become more of my identity to, it's the, I always call ABA the fluent language of our children on the spectrum. And I really still believe that like it's even in, Juliana is now in a general education, fourth grade class, not even an integrated anymore. This is her first year. We're very excited for her. But even with that, I still say ABA is her primary educator. It's the best way for me. It's the fluent language of our children. Mm -hmm. And it's the best way for me to, to not just parent her, but to parent my neurotypical son. So um, you can learn that. It's not hard. This is really, honestly, how you do pie training is pretty much how you teach them everything. So that's why yeah. it's, it is, it's a great one to start with. And it's usually one I can get like within a couple of weeks of joining, we'll get them pie training. So then we can work on the other two. All right, yeah. great. If I train, let's talk about communication, you know? And yeah, and, and you're not the only parent that's actually said that to me is that ABA is is it exists around us. Even if we don't realize that it's occurring around us, 
the world operates a lot of times with behavioral contingencies. And so the fact that you're just, you're, you're almost kind of utilizing them in a way that is a little bit more constructive and focused around a specific event. It's, it's good parenting often. That's, that's kind of the way that I would look at it as well. But where can people learn about the work that you do and, and potentially even get access to your consultation services? They sound so valuable. Absolutely. So they can go, um, you can go to our website. That's uh, Michelle B as in boy Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S.com. Uh, Michelle B Rogers is my handle on Instagram. Um, you can look up uh, champions for our children on Facebook. And I believe Michelle B Rogers on YouTube as well. I put some YouTube videos up for tips and tricks for all the, uh, the big three that we talked about today. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. And hopefully we can get you back and we can talk about communication strategies from the from the parent perspective as well, because uh, all of these things are so valuable to be able to share with families. But once again, thank you for coming on. I feel like I learned again. And that's always the, the joy of me doing these podcasts. I feel like I'm getting educated constantly. So no thanks. Problem. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.